Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. Today's story is about a young woman named Paula Sladuski who was on vacation with her boyfriend in Miami. They went there to see a Lady Gaga concert, except Paula never returned from the trip. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. My sources are listed in the description area. This is the case of Paula Sladuski. This story takes us back to 2010. There was the Haiti earthquake, which devastated the country, and 230,000 people died. It was the year of the first iPad. Osama bin Laden was killed. The world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, opened in Dubai. Minimum wage was $7.25 an hour. And lastly, there was the launch of a brand new app called Instagram. Paula Sladuski was born November 15, 1983. She is 26 years old and worked as an exotic dancer. Now, anytime you look up anything about Paula, you'll see her described as a Playboy model. Now, this isn't true, and her family is wondering why people keep calling her that and not being focused on her case instead. I know it's sensational for the media to call her a Playboy model, but it doesn't help the case. Her family said she never posed in any Playboy photos. The only connection she had to Playboy was that she was in a video with 80 other girls. It was called Ultimate Playmate Search, and it took place in 2003 and was several years before the story, but she didn't make the cut. That's it. No other connection. I saw one journalist refer to her as a famous Playboy model, and that's not the case. There have been Playboy models who have been murdered, but Paula was not one of them. She was a model, yes, but she was just not a Playboy model. Paula lives with her boyfriend, Kevin. Her family lives in Michigan. Paula and Kevin kind of split their time between California and Michigan. Now, Kevin had a career in real estate, but as you can remember, back in the late 2000s, the economy went south and he wasn't doing so well. But Paula worked as an exotic dancer and they are able to comfortably live on her income. She drives a Ford Mustang convertible. She has an extensive collection of Barbie dolls she's been collecting for a long time, over 500 of them. I watched interviews with her mom and stepdad, and they said how Paula was a wonderful girl who loved expensive tastes and nice things. She loved VIP tables and wanted to be a superstar. They didn't like that she was an exotic dancer, but she said she was making a ton of money, and that's why she continued to do it. Now, her parents did not sugarcoat her situation. They were very honest about her. They said Paula loved to party and drink and loved to turn heads everywhere she went. They said her relationship with her boyfriend, Kevin, was a toxic one at best. They would get drunk and argue. The cops were called to their house multiple times. There was even an instance where Kevin had broke her nose and blacked her eye. It seemed like every time they drank together, there was some kind of fighting between them, and they both drank a lot. So her family was surprised that just weeks after the broken nose incident, they planned to fly down to Miami and vacation for the New Year's. They thought about going to Las Vegas, but changed their mind and decided to go to Miami instead. So they get to Miami and they say goodbye to 2009 and ring in 2010. Kevin was able to score two tickets to a Lady Gaga concert from a scalper. They went to the concert and had a great time. I've seen Lady Gaga and having a midnight New Year's Eve show was something that sounds like a dream. Kevin and Paula start clubbing and drinking and having a good time. This was like a multi-day celebration. 
A waiter they had met at a restaurant had been telling them about a hot club called Club Space, and this club is open after hours, so that's where they want to go. Now, it's early hours in the morning. They want to continue to dance and drink and party. Again, Club Space was open while all the others in the area had closed for the night. As a side note, Paula is wearing a sheer blue dress and six-inch heels, and I have no idea how she's able to party this long after attending a concert. My feet would be done after several hours of being on a concrete floor. Paula and Kevin get to drinking some more, and things begin to get a little heated between the two of them. See, Paula was dancing on the floor and was attracting the attention of a lot of men. Even one of the bartenders says he sees women who come in and look a lot like Paula. This is Miami, after all. But Paula stood out amongst others. She was blonde and tan and tall and just beautiful. He thought she was a movie star. Paula notices she's attracting attention and she starts pulling her dress up and being really flirty. She was fl- she was flashing the crowd. Well, I feel like any boyfriend in the situation is going to be pissed. He tells her it's time to go. Men were beginning to circle around her. One in particular begins grinding all over her and she's just kind of laughing it off. She tells Kevin she doesn't want to leave. Kevin says she told him to give her her credit card so she can continue to pay for her drinks and he can leave. So he does. It's typical of him to carry her wallet when they're out since she doesn't have pockets or anything in her dress. Her and Kevin end up getting into an argument and are kicked out of the club. Now, club policy is that no matter who is guilty or innocent, both parties have to leave. So the bouncers take Kevin outside while Paula is inside. It's around 7 o'clock a.m., Kevin gets a cab and goes back to the hotel where he is going to go to sleep. Shortly after, Paula is escorted out of the club. What happens after Paula walks out of that door? We don't know. Paula is all alone. It's 720 in the morning. She doesn't know anyone. She's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, and she has no family or friends with her. The only person she knows is her boyfriend, Kevin, who is sleeping in a hotel room. Kevin wakes up in the hotel and his head is throbbing, he's hungover, and he's trying to recollect everything that happened that morning. Paula isn't there, so that's concerning. Kevin says it's happened before that Paula comes in after him, but she always comes home. This time was different. Besides, they're in Miami, which is a long way from California and Michigan. As well, Paula doesn't know anyone. She doesn't know the area. Neither does Kevin. These are out-of-state vacationers. Kevin also realizes he still has Paula's cell phone on him. So now she's out there without a phone. Paula, being from Detroit and knowing how to handle herself and not being naive, are pretty much the best things she has going on for her at this moment, and he's hoping that she's okay. He goes downstairs and asks for the hotel manager. He explains his girlfriend is missing. This hotel manager takes it serious and says, you need to call the police. They need to get this girl's photo out on the news. The cops say they won't do anything for 24 hours. Maybe she left with another man and is sleeping somewhere in in a different hotel. It had been 10 hours since Kevin last saw her, so that takes a good chunk out of the time, which is good. By now, it's evening. He still has another 14 hours to go before he could file the missing persons report. So he goes back to club space, but they are closed. So he gives money to some homeless folks in the area and asks them to tell him anything that they saw, but they said they didn't see her. He calls hospitals, jails, and they say they haven't seen her. He goes to a gas station a couple blocks away and asks the clerk if he's seen her, and the clerk says, no, but I've only been here for an hour or two. 
Kevin is full on panicking now, and he decides he needs to get a private investigator. A private investigator is separate from the police. They're like a detective, but they work on you paying them. They're not working for the police. So he goes online to find a local one, and he finds one named David Wasser and says, you got to help me. My girlfriend has been missing since this morning. He explains that they got kicked out of the club and she went out by herself. So David agrees to meet him at the Miami police station. So David, as a private investigator who is not affiliated with the police, knows that he has to be careful. On one hand, you've got this desperate guy who can't find his girlfriend, but there's a chance he could be the reason she's missing. He could have done something to her, and now he is trying to cover his tracks. This already isn't looking good for Kevin since he has a history of domestic violence and they had a fight that morning. I can understand if the police and the PI were skeptical. The next day, the police, the PI, and Kevin go over to club space to talk with the bouncers. By now, it's been over two hours, and the missing persons report is active. Kevin calls the local medical examiner and gives a description of Paula. The medical examiner says, well, hang on. We're going to send a detective to you right now. This is where I'd be freaking out. They obviously know something. The detective arrives and asks Kevin if Paula had any piercings. He pulled out a Ziploc bag and shows some body jewelry to Kevin. He asks if these are Paula's, and Kevin says, no, I don't think so. Kevin shows him a photo of Paula, and the detective pulls out a photocopy of an earring and holds it up next to Paula's picture. It's the exact same earring. Meanwhile, Kevin has no idea how they got her jewelry or what the bigger picture is at this point. The police bring Kevin into the station because they have some questions for him. Kevin would ultimately be in a room with detectives for 12 hours getting grilled. And let's get to why. So the day before was Sunday, January 3rd. 7 o'clock in the morning is when Kevin and Paula got escorted out by security at Club Space separately. Paula disappears. Kevin wakes up in the hotel room and goes to police. Well, what we don't know is while all this is going on, around 9 p.m. the night before, this is about 14 hours after Paula left Club Space, a man named Christopher Michael, and all I know about this man is that his name is Christopher Michael, he spots a dumpster on fire in North Miami. It's like an industrial area parking lot behind a building. This dumpster is fully engulfed in flames, and there's a propane company located right next door. This is approximately 10 to 12 miles from club space. Others in the area begin calling in because this is a really heavy fire. It's all contained inside the dumpster, but flames are shooting out of the top, and it is ugly. The fire department puts the fire out, and inside they find something incredibly gruesome. It was what appeared to once be a human body. It's basically just a charred mess at this point. It's to the point it doesn't even look like a body anymore, but they can see there's teeth and jewelry. So the body is brought back to the medical examiner's office where Detective Michael Gaudio would be assigned to the case. They determine the charred body is that of a female. Detective Gaudio has some work to do. He has to figure out, number one, who is this female? And number two, who set her on fire and placed her in a dumpster like she's a piece of garbage? He checks missing persons report reports in the area and areas surrounding Miami. But remember, Kevin was told he had to wait 24 hours, so there's no missing persons report yet. For the night, this woman is just Jane Doe. 
The next morning, the medical examiner's office receives a call from a man who asks if they had any bodies that were found since his girlfriend was missing. That man was Kevin. Paula's mother in Michigan was contacted by Kevin, and he explained that she was missing and the police want her dental records. Her dental records were sent over and they have a match. The body found in the dumpster is 26-year-old Paula Sladuski. This detective, Michael Gaudio, has a lot of work to do. There's no DNA evidence or anything like that since the body is so badly burned. We don't know if she's a victim of sexual assault or what. There's not going to be any trace of semen since she was on fire. There's no DNA under her fingernails that would contain traces of her killer because there are no fingernails. Her body is just a burned corpse. So the police interview Kevin for 12 hours. They make him strip down and they photographed him. They're looking for visible scratches or anything that looks like he was fighting or struggling. There weren't any. And this is standard procedure with any person of interest. On one hand, he's this extremely concerned boyfriend who did everything that one who is innocent would do. He put posters up of her. He called the police. He alerted the front desk. He went back to club space. But we can't forget that Kevin also argued with her the night before and was also known for domestic violence. Remember, just weeks before, he broke her nose and he blacked her eye. So Kevin is most definitely a, pers a person of interest. Maybe not a suspect at this point, but still a person of interest. Him just being her boyfriend alone makes him a person of interest. Kevin explains their relationship and says, look, we fight all the time. He explained about his arrest for breaking her nose in Michigan, her arrest in California for hitting him with a bottle. He says how their relationship is a toxic one, but he's not going to kill her. Kevin ends up ultimately getting cleared pretty early on because he got a cab. He went back to the hotel and was in his room until he woke up and realized Paula was missing. These are airtight alibis. They also believe her killer was local since they knew the way to this dumpster away from the club. This wasn't just some random spot. Someone knew the dumpster was there. Kevin is not a local and doesn't know anything about the area. So we can agree that Kevin, although not a good boyfriend, wasn't guilty of her murder. I still think it's wrong that he left the club and got a cab back to the hotel room without her, though. He could have waited 20 minutes for Paula to come out. Even though he's pissed at the way she was acting inside the club, he needs to realize they're still hundreds of miles from home in a city they know nothing about. Plus, he had her cell phone. It's like a recipe for disaster. I wish Paula would have waited outside the club as well instead of walking off. Maybe ask one of the bouncers outside, you know, if they could wait for her while she waits or wait with her while she waits for a cab or something. The media is alerted and suddenly the headlines are Playboy model murdered while on vacation with abusive boyfriend. This really doesn't look good for Kevin at all. Even Paula's family, who hate Kevin for the way he treated her, believe he is innocent of her murder. They're pissed he left her there alone with no phone. He should have waited for her and they know that he has to live with that for the rest of his life. We do see him on surveillance after he was asked to leave, pleading with the bouncers to tell his girlfriend to leave with him. They come back over and say, you know, she said no. That's when he got a cab. The private detective who was involved, David Wasser, said he's been interviewing criminals a long time and everything Kevin said ended up checking out. The guy wasn't lying. A lot of people believe he's still a piece of shit, just not guilty of murder. There is surveillance of Paula walking outside. There's a ton of bouncers in this entryway, and you can see it's a pretty decent amount of people. 
Now, this surveillance footage is some of the worst I've ever seen. You basically see what appears to be blonde hair moving past bouncers, which look like shadowy figures. I know it's 2010, but my God, this footage is awful. Club Space has 30 cameras, but none of them were outside. Most were pointed at the registers where the money is. The surveillance cameras on at the other businesses in the area, because there are clubs around it, were not working at the time, of course. So we have no footage of Paula when she's outside of club space. Her family says she is way too savvy and sophisticated to just wander off with a stranger willingly. She knows better. But where Paula goes, we don't know. All we know is that she turned right and vanished without a trace. There's a lot of people on the street. This is the hottest club in Miami, and it's after hours. The street is bustling with people. So all of the bouncers at Club Space are interviewed and cleared. Now, some of them saw something that the others didn't see. The chief of security at Club Space tells police he saw Paula with a man once she turned out of the building and started walking down the street. A light-skinned African-American man who was well-groomed, a full beard, well-built, and around six foot tall. It wasn't like an abduction. He wasn't dragging her down the street. They walked hand in hand like a couple. He says he and his staff saw them walking away from the club towards a parking lot. Well, this is huge. A sketch is drawn of the man that Paula allegedly left with, and it circulated around the media, but it didn't ultimately lead to anything. I was pretty impressed with how good the sketch was. Sometimes these things don't turn out as good, but this was a very detailed drawing. Kevin said about this man, quote, she knew how to read guys. And listen, I mean, she'd been working in clubs for in Detroit for eight years, okay? Detroit's not a nice area, and she's never had any problems. Kevin and, other be- and others believe it was possibly one of the guys who was hitting on her on the dance floor. The private investigator reviews the security footage of Paula leaving the club and sees a lot of the bouncers checking her out when she's walking out. I linked the video for this in the description area. So if you guys want to actually go and watch that, um, you can find it right there. But like I said, it's extremely grainy, but these folks seem to be making out figures. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I don't know how they saw that. I can barely make out humans in the video, but they say there were a few watching her and then they go outside. But these are bouncers. You know when you're at a club, the bouncers don't stand in the entryway the whole time. They're walking out front and talking to each other and then going back in the doorway. All of these bouncers at the door were identified and interviewed, and they were cleared as well. Many thought this might have been a conspiracy between the bouncers, where they would eject the boyfriend for some minor violation so his hot girlfriend would be all alone in the club and they could make moves on her. That wasn't the case, though. Police and the chief security officer at Club Space reviewed the footage and said these guys were just doing their job. They walked her to the door and then she was free to go. Besides, Kevin could have been outside waiting for her. I don't care if my husband and I had a huge fight somewhere. If he's outside and I'm inside, he's not leaving me alone in a city I know nothing about. The theory that the bouncers kicked Kevin out so they could do something to her kind of falls apart. The staff also uses their fingerprints to clock in and out, and they weren't allowed to leave until closed, so that really helps their case. The chief security officer pointed out something. He said the man Paula was supposedly seen walking hand-in-hand with was wearing shorts. He wasn't a patron of the club because they have a really strict dress code. You were checked before you walk in and shorts aren't allowed. People sometimes try to bribe the bouncers with money to let them in, but it's not happening. 
Everyone is kind of looking twice at people who fit his description. But remember, this is Miami, and there's thousands upon thousands of people everywhere. You can't single out every black man who is built and well-groomed. Two weeks later, the club space bouncers were posted up working the door, and lo and behold, they couldn't believe what was right in front of them. Walking right past the entrance door is the man they believed they saw Paula holding hands with and walking down the street. The police are called and the man is located. The man is brought in and questioned and then later released because police discovered this man had nothing to do with Paula's murder. They're tight-lipped about what brought them to that conclusion, but we know that he was not charged. As well, even if he was the man who was walking down the street with Paula, that doesn't automatically make him guilty of murder, but it would raise concerns. We can't even say for sure that Paula was the correct person walking down the street holding hands with this guy. Granted, she's wearing six-inch heels, a neon blue dress, and long blonde hair. There's still a lot of women who look like that at clubs in Miami. I did read a few times that someone had called in a tip that a truck was seen heading in the wrong way down a one-way road towards a woman matching Paula's description, and the driver of that truck was described as a middle-aged white man. I don't know whatever became of this tip. I'm sure there's a million trucks in Miami driven by white men, so it's hard to narrow it down. There were 14 hours between the time Paula walked out of that club door and when the fire was found in the dumpster. What in the world happened during those 14 hours? It's so hard with little evidence on the body due to how bad of shape it was in. Remember, they couldn't even tell at first if this was a male or a female. But here is what we know. The medical examiner believes she was already dead before she was set on fire. Her manner of death was likely strangulation because there were no bullet wounds or stab marks on her charred remains. The theory that most people believe is that Paula likely encountered someone after she left club space. That person, who is likely a local person, raped and strangled her, then disposed of her corpse in the dumpster and set her on fire to cover all the evidence. Police believe this person has a lot to lose, like a family man or a college student, someone with a good job, someone who went to great lengths to cover up their tracks, someone who knew there was no security cameras near the dumpster behind a building 10 miles away from club space. Lead detective Michael Gaudio said, quote, It was out of the way. It wasn't highly traveled by people. It was a Sunday, a dead end. It's a place you wouldn't know unless you've lived or worked there. He also says this case still haunts him, saying, quote, It's frustrating. It's the one case that stands out in my career. It's the one I didn't solve. To be unable to give the family closure does bother me. I still think about it to this day. Paula's sister, Kelly Ferris, told the press, quote, She loved life. She was full of life. She was a great person. I couldn't imagine anything like this happening. She was beautiful. She cared about everybody. Modeling was her dream. Paula's sister also put up $15,000 of her own money as a reward. The owners of Club Space put up a $15,000 reward as well. Kevin moved back to Michigan. I've watched interviews with him, and he seems so ashamed that he left her there and went back to the hotel. Paula's sister Kelly says Kevin has stated several times he doesn't even want to live anymore. As of today, in January 2023, when I'm telling you this, the case is still cold. It's been 13 years since Paula walked out of that club. If Paula was alive, she would be 39 years old. The best case scenario is that someone who was in the area that night will see Paula's picture or read an article about her and that will trigger a memory. 
or that the killer tells someone and then that person reports it to police. Rest in peace to Paula and much love to her family and friends. That's it for this week. Take care and much love to you all.